Some people take the straight path in life. But at Arizona State University, we respect your twists and turns. They make our online students more driven to excel in their professional lives. That's why our personalized suite of services empowers you with innovative resources and staff that sticks with you. Make your next turn with one of our 200-plus programs at ASU, number one in innovation for seven consecutive years. Visit us at asuonline.asu.edu to learn more. This episode of Unqualified is brought to you by McDonald's, proudly serving communities since 1965. When my son was making a list of mankind's greatest inventions, I was proud when he included the Big Mac and Quarter Pounder with cheese. But my love for McDonald's goes beyond the idea of a perfect meal. I also appreciate how McDonald's is a place that just brings us together. After countless road trips, I started to recognize the McDonald's crew members at our regular stops. And it wasn't too long before Kylie in Portland remembered that I like extra pickles and asked how things have been since the last time. It's the same idea of community that made me start this podcast. So thank you, Kylie in Portland. Thank you, Jared in Sacramento. Thank you, Sam in Burlington. And thanks to all of the other McDonald's crew members who help make McDonald's a place where communities come together. Share your crew story at mcdonalds.com. Hey, everyone. Today's guest and co-host is the lovely and talented actress Aya Cash, who you know as Gretchen Cutler in You're the Worst and more recently as Stormfront in The Boys. Our unqualified segment begins with a call from Nate, who is happily married but unhappily living in Oslo, Norway. Nate wants to move, his husband wants to stay, and that's where it gets a little complicated. Our next call is with Brittany, who, after a recent divorce, is looking for advice on how to rediscover herself while being a good role model for her son. As always, thank you for listening to our podcast. If you have a question and would like to talk with us, we would love to hear from you. Just look for the link at unqualified.com. Ladies and gentlemen, you are listening to Unqualified with your host, Anna Ferris. Aya, how are you? I'm good. How you doing? It's really nice to meet you. I was watching some interview clips of yours, and I really love it that when posed with the question of like, what drew you to this project? Your inclination seemed to be like, well, I auditioned and I'm an actor and it's a job. Yeah. I mean, there's like many different reasons to do jobs, but the first reason to do a job is to not have to do the other job that I used to do, which is waitressing. So I feel like that's a totally valid reason. You can't always get beautiful art. I feel like sometimes the jobs that I have done for quote unquote the wrong reasons, like, oh, it's not the art job. I've also gathered amazing people from. You bond together too when you're all kind of like, we're doing this thing and now we're going to go lie about it in press and how great it was. But like, (laughs) but we all fell in love on that. And don't you think that's like a concentrated amount of time? It's like your three months of hard work is almost like a block of a much larger time frame because of the intensity of the experience. Yeah, I watched The Bachelor and I feel like people are like, oh, that's so dumb. You couldn't fall in love. I was like, oh, I fall in love every job like that sort of intense time period, it's built to make you fall in love. It might be a different kind of love. It's not necessarily a sustaining love. There are people that I have fallen madly in love with on jobs who have not stayed in my life in the way that I would expect. And that was a big learning curve for me because I thought these are my forever people on every single region or theater job. Yeah. But it's love. But you're right. There is like, we get to work with fascinating people. And I think that there is that intensity of work. But I'm so with you. Like, 
after shooting the first scary movie, was like, we're all best friends. And sometimes it's the unexpected people that you keep and sort of come back through your lives. But you kind of always have that little touchstone to be like, oh, we were there. We all shared that. And that's lovely, even as we all go about our lives. Because it's not sustainable to have that kind of intensity of emotion with people, that sort of intimacy that's created on those jobs. Like, you don't actually want that in every day-to-day life. You met your husband when you were a waitress. Will you tell us a little bit about that? That's absolutely true. Table 26. Wait, can I get a visual of the restaurant? What kind of restaurant was it? So it was a restaurant called Chat Nchu. It was like bright colors, Thanksgiving on a roll, kitchen sink salad, like comfort food. It was a very cozy place. And he was walking down the street with a friend of his and I was standing outside. Actually, it was like a nice day and it was sort of dead time. And he walked in and I was like, oh, they're cute. And I was very new to New York and I was sort of dating my way into friendships because I didn't know anyone. And so I was like going out with whoever asked and I sat them in my section and I remember Walk Like a Man was playing and I was kind of like dancing knowing he might be watching. (laughs) And yeah, he tipped 20%, which was perfect. Like sometimes guys would come in and tip like a hundred bucks and I'd be like, thank you for the money. No, I am not dating you. Like you got to not under tip, but you don't want to be like, I'm going to pay for you. He gave you a tip, but then how did he like, did he just say, can I have your number? Oh, he left his email. So it was a little nerdy. I don't like a super cool guy. I think I was destroyed by too many cool guys. And then I was like, no, I want a nice person. And he left his email and then I lost it immediately. And then when I was doing laundry, the little piece of paper fell out and I emailed him. And so actually at our wedding, we read all our emails because we sort of did like a correspondence. Yeah. And it was the time not to age myself, but nothing wrong with aging. Totally. We read our emails aloud and it was like this beautiful thing because I remember having to like run home to check my email because we didn't have phones that had emails. So I would like come home and there'd be maybe an email from him or there wouldn't and I'd be devastated that he hadn't written back yet. And it was very sort of old school. You both grew up near the Bay Area. Did that commonality play into your connection? We grew up so differently that I think it doesn't feel like that. Like his parents have been together like 50 years. My parents have five marriages between the two of them. He grew up with a twin brother. I'm an only child. He grew up upper middle class. I grew up with no money. And I grew up in San Francisco. He grew up in Palo Alto. But yeah, we didn't have that necessarily in common. We did talk about that first interaction He was studying Buddhism, and my dad is a Buddhist priest. And so there was some crossover in that. Like, he was interested in Buddhism and had grown up Jewish. I had grown up Jewish, but was never really aware of my Jewishness until I got to New York when, like, Jewishness was a real identity thing. And so we were talking about that, and that felt like a point of connection for the two of us. What's your relationship with spirituality now? I think I've spent my whole life really avoiding it and being incredibly judgmental of it, mainly because I grew up in a sort of hippy-dippy area where I saw a lot of hypocrisy in spirituality. It all felt like, yeah, you say this, but I see who you really are. And I also was in some ways very bubbled away from traditional religion. And so that felt also something to judge and to separate myself from as a way to feel unique And as I get older, I feel much more open to all of it. I don't know that there's a particular religion that appeals to me, but spirituality feels important as I get older. Just connecting into nature or flow, that sort of thing that happens when you lose yourself in a moment, that's the kind of spirituality that I'm into. I love that answer. As someone who doesn't know a lot about Buddhism, can you give me like a super brief education? It's essentially being present in the moment. And that's it in my mind. And I'm not an expert just because I grew up around it. You know, I have a really hard time sitting quietly. So it's not like I meditate every day and practice. But my understanding of Buddhism is simply about being present in the moment. Meditation is a lot about breath as well and being in your body and being present to whatever is happening, which I find deeply challenging. And terrifying to me. 
I fall asleep to podcasts because I can't close my eyes without having something else going on to save me from my own thoughts. So Me too. Yeah. I know. How do we work on this? I mean, probably meditation and therapy is <laughs> mostly the answer to everything. And yet... <laughs> Also, in one of these interviews, you mentioned that you were a big theater nerd. Mm -hmm. I did a lot of regional theater. So I did a company called Great River Shakespeare Festival in Winona, Minnesota, which was incredible when I was like 22 and 23. And I worked at Mill Mountain Theater Company in Roanoke, Virginia. I did a lot of the smaller regional theaters. Did you have older actors giving you the advice to quit before it was too late? Always. But we had that in school, too. Like, we would have these things called Guthrie Mondays. I went to the University of Minnesota at the Guthrie. And so you had all these professional actors coming through to do shows at the Guthrie stage. And inevitably, the first thing they would say to you on our Guthrie Mondays, which is when we'd have the actors come talk to us, was, if you can do anything else, yes. get out now. Totally. I do some teaching now. I say teaching lightly. <laughs> I do some like guesting in classes for schools these days during the pandemic. I was like, I'm not going to tell you that. You already think you're the exception, as you should. That's the only way you're going to make it anyway. And you may or may not. But like you're spending money to take a class, to do a thing. That's the least helpful thing you can say to anyone if you can do anything else. Like this is what you want to do. So do that. There's nothing I'm going to tell you to kill your dreams. <laughs> of course, I had the same thing in the Seattle theater community. And I did quit acting. I was like, there's a lot of things I like and that won't involve so much rejection, maybe. Have you gotten better at the rejection or has it gotten worse, stayed the same? I think it depends on my emotional investment. Mm -hmm. I do believe that auditioning and then the actual work in front of the camera are almost two different abilities. Mm -hmm. And I think I'm all right at auditioning because I started young and in theater, which I think was hugely helpful. Mm -hmm. Aya, will you tell us about a heartbreak in your life? I think my biggest heartbreak is actually, I had a friend breakup, and that is still gets me emotional to even think about. And that feels like a bigger heartbreak than any of the like dickhead boys who, you know, cheated on me or treated me badly. I hear you on that very much so. A dear friend of mine had slept with my partner mm. and she was like my best, mm. best friend. And it ate away at me for years. And then I ran into her on an airplane. Mm -mm. And I had fantasized for years about what I would say to her if I ever saw her. Yeah. And I just sobbed and we just couldn't stop holding each other. Mm -hmm. And she was just like, I'm so sorry. And I was like, I've just fucking missed you. And now we're really close. But some of my friends and family don't quite understand it. And I appreciate their loyalty in that sense. But for me, it just felt really good. Is there any chance of a healing with your friend that still kind of gnaws at you? It was a very different kind of breakup. It was more that they just started to disappear. And I realized that I was putting all the energy in. Yeah. I just started to say, oh, maybe that friendship isn't what I thought it was. And let me experiment with actually taking a step back rather than forward, since forward doesn't seem to be getting me anywhere. And when I took a step back, it disappeared. And I was like, oh, I'm creating this friendship. And that doesn't mean that it wasn't a beautiful friendship for a very long time. And some people don't have the guts to just say, I don't want you in my life anymore or know how to say that. And maybe that's what happened with her. Or maybe she just was so in her own stuff. And maybe she wouldn't even know. I bet it's probably the latter. I really do. Because I have a tendency to kind of disappear out of my friends' lives. And it's part of, you know, our job and what we do. And because I've always been a person who has like one or two really close friends, I was envious of people who had large groups of friends, totally intimidated by the sorority world. Yeah, I think I also put a lot of pressure just in terms of my responsibility. I put a lot of pressure on my friendships because I consider that my family. I don't have like a large extended family and I am an only child. So I invest deeply in my friendships. I don't have a group of friends. They're all individualized friendships mostly. I have a couple that sort of overlap, but I don't have the group that we all go to Palm Springs and hang out. Right. It's a lot of like talking and that's what's interesting to me about friendships. So I feel 
I can be too sensitive too when they pull back because I'm like, no, 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 I put all this energy in and I want that back. And as as you get older, I think what I've also learned is that it's hard to maintain that level of intimacy when you're having kids, when you're in relationship. I mean, people's lives take them away. So I can be overreactive to somebody needing a little space. And that's what I can work on. In doing press, do you get a lot of like people wanting to engage in dialogue about how long your relationship has been or like how you guys manage it? Sometimes it's been such a weird year. Like I feel like I haven't done press in so long too. I'm like, what what happens there? And also even doing lots of press is a last 10 years thing for me. I didn't have most of my 20s, nobody was asking my opinion on anything. (laughs) So I tend to not know how to calibrate the intimacy of interviews. I tend to just sort of say what I think and feel, and then I spin out afterwards (laughs) about what happened. What did I say? Have I betrayed anything? I mean, I had a conversation with my husband before I went on this because I was like, we talk about love. And like, if you come up, what can I share? What can't I? Just because I want to be careful that I am being honest, but not putting anyone else in a position that they didn't sign up for. I love it that you had this dialogue with him. We've talked in the past about going to couples therapy and absolutely love that. I feel like I've talked about struggles that he's had personally that even though he says it's okay, I now feel differently about. My thing is, if it becomes a performance of something, then I feel shitty afterwards. If I feel like I'm sharing something or doing something in service of a laugh or even a false intimacy that's a betrayal, that I'm using something, then I don't want to do that. And it's not even that anyone in my life has complained about it. It's more of a personal like barometer for me. When I went on a talk show once, I talked about my family and I'm joking and I didn't say anything wrong about them. They loved it. But I felt like I was performing something that didn't feel right. When you talk about your heart being kind of trampled on a bit early on, How old were you when you first fell in love? Well, I grew up loving boys. I mean, I had a crush on my best friend's brother, Dash, when I was like two. I mean, I have diaries I've written since I was five or six that show my boy craziness. And I had a crush on the same boy from the time I was five years old till the time I was 11. His name was Simeon, and he dated my friend Mika when we were 10 instead of me. But I was madly in love with that little boy for the entirety of my elementary school, and he never wanted to date me. There is that thing. It's like the idea of being in love and a fixation mm-hmm. is intoxicating without really kind of knowing who they are. I also think I liked to chase a little bit. Even my friendship, one of my best friends, my friend Kelly, I just gave a speech at her wedding a couple years ago about my pursuit of her as a friend. Like I met her, I was like, yep, you're going to be my friend. And she was like, no, thanks. And I was like, nope, just wait. I'm pretty great. You're going to figure it out. And she was like, not interested. And, you know, she's my friend since I was 21 and I spoke at her wedding. So she came back around. Now she's very grateful that I worked so hard. (laughs) Yeah, I love your perseverance. But of course, it leaves you vulnerable to like the heartbreak of your other friends. Yeah. But, you know, we're talking a lot about that sort of vulnerability. I have had enough experiences with people coming and going in my life at this point that I don't take it as personally. And of course, it goes back to my childhood and men coming and going from my mother's life or women coming and going from my dad's life and sort of having to feel like, oh, one day someone's in your life and then the next day they aren't. And for adult reasons, they don't know how to interact with a kid that they just broke up with their partner and they disappear. So it was, I think, particularly evocative for me, especially when I was first having friends come in and out. Did your parents try to protect you? I mean, they were protective in the way parents are protective, but thank God there was no social media when I was growing up. I mean, I feel like that's the worst part. Kids can't go home anymore. Used to be able to go home if you were getting bullied. And now home is not a refuge from that because there's Instagram and Facebook and TikTok and you're seeing everything all the time. That feels like a perfect lead-in to your show, The Girl from Plainville. Will you tell us a little bit about it? 
Yeah. So speaking of social media is the case of Michelle Carter, who was texting with her boyfriend, Conrad Roy. I say boyfriend, but that's a loose term. A guy that she was in contact with and had developed a very intimate relationship with mostly through texting. And he ended up committing suicide. And after they found thousands of text messages between the two of them, where ultimately she was encouraging him to commit suicide and was in contact during the process of him killing himself. So it's a really sad, sad story. And it's really a story of mental health for both kids. They were both kids. And it's pretty devastating. There's a documentary on HBO about it as well that's a really good exploration of the case. And then, yeah, Elle Fanning is playing Michelle Carter and transforms into her, which is incredible. And you play the district attorney? Yeah, which is as soon as I got that job, one of my best friends sent me a meme from First Wives Club. I'm going to butcher this, but there's three roles for women in this industry. Babe, district attorney, and driving Miss Daisy. And he was like, you've hit number two. I always thought giving birth, Mm -hmm. dying, playing a prostitute. (laughs) Those are the ideas. And then, of course, there's the ageist idea, of course, which is like girlfriend, wife, mother, aunt, grandmother. Yep. (gasps) We have so much to look forward to. (laughs) There's so much. (laughs) Some of the more interesting people that I've met have been only children. That's because we're working very hard to convince you we're interesting. (laughs) I think it's fascinating you married a twin. That is a dynamic that I find wild. He's also fraternal. They don't look alike. But yeah, I mean, it's a fascinating dynamic. I just wanted to ask you if you collect anything. Oh, I collect everything. (laughs) Me too. I am a stuff person, which sometimes feels embarrassing, but I've decided to embrace it. I mean, I collected pigs growing up, but then everyone gives you horrible, ugly pig shit. They're like, we have a guaranteed heartfelt gift. Which I absolutely do to my friend Z because she loves horses and now I just buy her horse shit. And I'm like, I know that that's wrong, but I also like lamps and my husband's like, please no more lamps or chairs. I also can't give up a good deal. Like if I see something for $5 that I know is worth more, it has to come into my home. But, you know, it's a bit of a hoarding situation, but it's re- it's pretty hoarding. <laughs> oh, you should see our house. Aya, will you tell us about your show on Fox? Yeah, so I'm in a new show called Welcome to Flatch, which stars a bunch of people you have never seen but are going to blow your minds. Like, you know they're good because... If you had to work to get the job rather than some asshole like me who got offered it and, you know, can just sort of phone it in. Like these kids all worked their butts off and some of them were discovered on Twitter, on YouTube. Oh, cool. Like they're just like brilliant comedians. Like someone did an awesome job with casting. It's insane. This group is like the most talented people you've never seen. And Paul Feig produced it, who is the king of comedy, Jenny Bix. So that'll be on Fox March 17th. Awesome. Um, Okay, so now we're going to talk with Nate. Nate. Hello. How are you guys? We're wonderful. How are you? I'm good. Thank you. Thank you for your letter. And will you tell all of us what's going on? Sure. A little bit of background. So I'm from the States. My husband is from South Korea. And we met when I was living in and working in Seoul about 10 years ago. So that's how long we've been together. Then uh, about three years after that, he was already studying here in Norway, decided to scrap our plans to move to the States and just stay here. And I was an army brat, so I moved every three years. So it was totally fine to just move to some strange place. And moving to Europe was always something that I wanted to do. I moved here, was super excited, started learning Norwegian, and then um, was here about two years. And that was when I started feeling really restless because I worked really hard to get out of the small town that I was in, where everybody's in your business. And unless you grow up from kindergarten, you have really no close friends. And then I moved here and it's basically the same thing. It's a slightly bigger small town. It's still the same thing. I have friends now. We've been here eight years, but the more time goes, the more like 
I need something else. I don't know what it is about being here that makes me unhappy, but we talk about it all the time. And especially when he starts talking about changing his citizenship to Norwegian, which would make it easier for us to have kids and stuff like that and build more of a life, which is all things that I want. But him being Norwegian really makes it seem like we're going to be tied down here. And that terrifies me. Is this the first time you felt like this? Yeah. I didn't feel restless in Korea. I felt really happy, even though I had like no free time. It was like three days of vacation in summer, three days in the winter. But like every weekend felt like an adventure. We went off and did like all kinds of different, amazing, fun things. And we still have those kinds of opportunities here. But I work in as a restaurant manager now, which is a very good job to have. And there are things to love about Norway, but it's just my therapist said, Maybe I was happy in Korea because I'm an anxious person and everyone in Korea is anxious. And so our energies matched. (laughs) And I was like, holy shit, I never thought of it like that. Whereas here, everyone's just like really calm, really just in on themselves and not really focused on anyone around them. And that really makes me more anxious. So you're like at this impasse, essentially. Yeah. And it's like, do we move forward with our life in Norway? Or can I convince my husband to try out a new country? Yeah, pretty much. How frequently do you guys argue about it? Not so much anymore because I always know that I'm going to lose. So I don't really bring it up too much. So you are kind of feeling powerless. Just a little. Like he just applied for permanent residency and that kind of stuff. So then the next step is citizenship. And that like really scares me. Did it bother you when he applied for permanent residency No, it adds a little bit more stability for us. So it's okay. And I get his reasoning to want to stay because we make enough money. We're comfortable. We worry about nothing really. And that's not something that I've ever had. And it's a good feeling, to be honest. When you did talk about leaving or or moving, what were those conversations like? One of my arguments is like, he has no friends here, really. He has some friends that he went to school with, but then the only real friends he's had were like friends that came from Korea doing the same thing that he did. And now they're gone. So he doesn't have anybody. And so he can move jobs to the UK. His company has offices there, but I have to get a job there first. So he won't just move. I'll be honest, I understand a little bit, but like we've discussed New York, LA, cities where we would be accepted as a couple He would be a little bit safer because I come from Kentucky and it's not the best place to be for anyone who's different, but everything has just been new and I don't know what else to do. For me, I think what I'm hearing from you is that you haven't exactly identified the why of wanting to move for yourself. Yeah. I always struggle with like, is this a healthy thing or is this an unhealthy thing? Like, what is this desire? Is this a desire because I'm anxious and I can't sit still and I want to just leave and have some new experience? Or is this actually like a part of who I am that I... I need something different. Like new experiences are great. Maybe you don't want to be in the same place or maybe you just want a place where you feel more seen in terms of who you are. I never moved to LA because LA is always sunny. It never matches your mood, right? Like you're there sad and LA is there being like, fuck you, sad girl. Totally. Whereas New York, it's always moving. It has more emotion for me, right? So maybe Norway, as beautiful and wonderful as it is, doesn't feel like you. But then there's this other side where I'm like, well, but then there's also an opportunity to come to that in a different way or to like say, huh, you know, maybe there's a place that I could be calm. Maybe this could be a safe place. It's like being in a long-term relationship. You kind of got to reinvest in the person and like, is there an opportunity there? And only you know, which is the answer. Yeah. Nate, what made you fall in love with your husband? I didn't come out until I was 24. And he was the first guy that I'd ever gone on any kind of a date with. I mean, my closet had a glass door. We'll just say that. (laughs) He was the first person that I ever said it out loud to. And it wasn't just because of that. I talked about like all of the kind of nerdy things that I am interested in. I didn't feel judged. I didn't feel shame or anything like that. He listened and no one had ever really done that before. And I wore a Star Wars t-shirt on our first date. I don't know why, but he took me to see the re-release of The Phantom Menace like on our second date. And I could tell he was so bored, but he was there just because. And he took me because he was like, that's the one thing he knew that I liked. And 
I never had anybody like show that kind of interest in me and make me feel special. And, and we just compliment each other. It made me feel, still makes me feel comfortable, like safe. I think it's really important to remember these things. But I wonder about the necessity of you getting a job in the UK before you guys move there. He hasn't explained why, even though I've like asked. But like I came to Norway, no job. I was just like, we've been apart for two years. Oh, I just want to be with you. I'm a very impulsive person. So if I feel like I need to do something, I'm going to do it. And I looked up this thing where you could extend your tourist visa and it's like a job seeker and like stay here a year. So I was like, we're going to do that. And he's like, no, no. I was like, no, no, I'm coming. And this is why he fell in love with you because you're exciting and impulsive, but he probably really appreciates the financial stability that you guys have now. Oh, yeah. So, I mean, I th- I'm guessing that's why, because it wasn't that it was like awful, but it wasn't easy. Me being unemployed, I was only unemployed for about three months and then I got a job. That's pretty great. Yeah. But now it's kind of like I'm in the middle of transitioning jobs. It's still within the restaurant industry, but my job in the past wasn't the easiest. I have a hard time saying no to people and staying late, working a lot of weekends and that sort of thing. We haven't had that much time together and it just makes a little bit of time that we have. It's like every time this comes up, it's just a big argument. And that was why I wrote the letter was because I can't do it. I so appreciate you talking about sort of what seems Like kind of an unsolvable thing right now. I think the biggest thing is how you guys can communicate around these kind of big decisions, right? Because fights are inevitable and different preferences is what happens when you share your life with someone. So it's really about how you guys can communicate with this, that you also feel heard and not shut down by it. And that you can both be a little more curious about it together. I feel like when we get our feelings hurt, things shut down. And what's most important is to actually be curious and to be engaged. And maybe that's asking him to just be open, not to make a decision. Like, let's play around. Let's fantasize about what that could be. Let's fantasize what it would be if we moved to London. Let's fantasize about what it would be if we stayed here and how we could maybe change what's happening here so that I could feel better, but to just be really curious with each other rather than get into this sort of same fight. Because once you have the same fight over and over again, you start to sort of dig in and it all becomes the same. Yeah. And everyone's tired. Yeah. You know, and it's like, uh I mean, you said you're in therapy too. This episode of Unqualified is brought to you by McDonald's. After listening to a few episodes of this podcast, you might come away thinking that my family and I eat a lot of McDonald's. And while that's certainly accurate, where you'd be wrong is your calculation of how many a lot really is. So here's some numbers from our last road trip. We stopped at McDonald's seven times in three days for a total of five Egg McMuffins, three Sausage McGriddles, six hash browns, three Big Macs, five quarter pounders with cheese, two chicken McNuggets, three filet fishes one crispy chicken sandwich, five cheeseburgers, four Happy Meals, and at least 10 shakes, and a lot of fries. When you know you'll soon be stopping at a McDonald's, the long drive doesn't seem quite as long. Though I will confess that every so often, even I ask, are we there yet? Okay, I'm going to work on that. Share your cruise story at mcdonalds.com. I've always been self-conscious about my hands. This was confirmed by an ex-boyfriend. He told me they belonged on a German potato farmer from the 1800s. The same dude also told me that my earlobes were too big. So it was a confidence booster and a lot of fun when Olive and June sent me a complete kit of everything you need for a professional quality manicure. Salon-grade tools like a straight-edge nail clipper, dual-grip mani-file, nail buffer, cleanup brush, gorgeous polishes, top coat, and more. There's no need for a base coat because Olive and June's polishes include it in their formulation. Equally genius is the Poppy, a patented brush handle that takes the dread out of painting your other hand. All of this is packaged in a beautiful blush-colored ditty bag. After learning to give myself a perfect manicure at home thanks to their online masterclass, I decided to try Olive and June's press-ons. I've never had long nails, and the selection of sizes and lengths ensured that they don't look fake. 
I was just going to wear them for date night, but ended up keeping them for two weeks because they look great the whole time. Thanks to Olive and June, I have been transformed from a harvester of soil tubers to a distinguished trial lawyer. You know, like a sexy one. My husband said I was definitely going to win my upcoming case, and he loves my earlobes. So visit oliveandjune.com slash Anna for 20% off your first Manny system. That's O-L-I-V-E-A-N-D-J-U-N-E dot com slash A-N-N-A for 20% off your first Manny system. Has he ever popped into your therapy or have you ever gone together? We did it together. We didn't really talk about that because there was other things that we would argue about. And we've since like fixed that and we're on a better path now as far as communicating and that sort of thing. It's just still the one thing like we talked about it at dinner tonight, actually. So my husband and I do therapy even in the good times sometimes. Like before we decided to get married, we were like, let's do some therapy around it. Because like it's just a safe space to talk about it where there's a third party being like, actually, that was judgmental what you just said. Like maybe you could, you know, say it a different way. There's just a little more accountability so you don't fall into the same patterns. Maybe it's something to bring in and just sort of play with. Yeah. I wonder too, you mentioned in Korea how you guys would do weekend adventures or whatever. There was a lot of activity. You are a social person. You've got your friends there now. I wonder if you can take baby steps into like the large discussion of a move by planning various weekend trips, like get some guidebooks, explore more of the country, just the two of you. It may spark what you guys had back then as well. Or is the issue larger than weekend getaways? Weekend getaways are great. Actually, with my new job that I'm taking, it's going to require a lot of travel, which is exactly what I wanted. Oh, Nate, this is opening up a whole new can. The plan is that once we know for sure when these trips are going to happen, like he can join me either at like the beginning or the tail end. Are you traveling out of the country? Yeah, things like that. Because I'm not a big nature girl, basically. And Norway is nature. We've done weekend trips here. We've done cabin trips and they've been great, but they're not the most stimulating. When does this transition happen? Like, when are you going to be traveling? April. How does that make him feel? Do you sense anxiety around that? Oh, no, he's excited. He thinks it's great. Oh, good. He was the one who pushed me to take this one. This solution then, you'll find it. You know, because at first you may not miss him as much as one would think because there's so much new stuff flying in your face. And you'll probably have these kinds of phone calls that are like, oh, how was your day? It was this and this and this. Okay, I love you. Okay, we'll talk tomorrow. I would try to work hard at making the conversations a little more meaning. Mm -hmm. But Nate, it will also reveal a little more of your relationship. I think so. And for him, too. I think you're going to get a lot more information to work with, right? So you'll be able to make a better, more informed decision once you have a little more space. And you're getting that part of yourself that feels a little unfulfilled by being static in this city that doesn't feel so much you. You're going to get to go play. And in all relationships, I think that kind of stuff can be really good, too, because new experiences is what bonds people together. And so you having some new experiences and bringing him along a little bit, I think is going to be a benefit anyway. And you're going to have a lot more information about where you want to be and what you want. Kind of going back to Aya's point about the idea of therapy, like how open and honest have you been around these discussions? At the start, not honest, like not that open at all. Just like I want to live somewhere else. I don't think I want to live in Norway. But since the pandemic, that was when I started therapy because things really hit ahead. And I was diagnosed with depression, high-functioning anxiety, and mood swings. So that made me feel like a real fun cocktail. You are. You're awesome. (laughs) Thank you. That actually means a lot to hear someone say out loud. It's true. You've got a lot. And you're brave. Yeah, so adventurous. Coming from a small town to create that life for yourself is a force of will. And that's really, really impressive. Thank you. This April move, it's going to reveal a lot about your relationship and how you guys 
deal with that? When he went away, who missed who more? I think it was equal. I'll be honest, like having a little bit of time by myself was pretty nice. That's okay, by the way. Yeah. That's good. People think that like, oh, I didn't miss him when I was gone or I didn't feel like, oh my God, I want to go back. I just can't wait. That doesn't mean anything. Sometimes we tell ourselves stories about that, that, oh, it means a lot that I didn't feel that way. Space is good. It gives you a little room to explore yourself again. We have different sides of ourselves that we express with different people. And when you've been in quarantine with your partner and you've been just being that side of yourself, it's good to go out and who you are at your job or who you are with your friends. Like, that's really important. I remember deciding between two boys in college. One like really smart, really funny, total dickhead. Uh, And one like sweet, kind, loving, but like not a go-getter. And I was saying to my dad, like, what do I do? Like I get different things from these different guys. And he was like, well, you can't expect one person to give you everything. That's unreasonable. That's why we have friends. I, I totally love your point. It's a lot of pressure to put on ourselves, you know? We choose the partners who give us exactly what we want. So in my relationship, can be the one who doesn't want to talk about the fucking relationship all the time because my husband wants to talk all the time. And that makes me feel really safe. So I don't have to be so vulnerable. I can be like, oh, whatever, I don't need that because he is so engaged in that way. And so your husband's desire for stability and the fact that he wants to give that allows you to actually feel all those feelings. Whereas like if you didn't have that stability with him, Maybe it would be a really intense experience to have to, like, go travel or do all this stuff. Like, it's actually more symbiotic than we think, even if in the moment it doesn't always meet up with our preferences in that moment. Yeah. You'll at least get a lot of clues with your new job and all that travel. You may travel around and be like, I fucking love this and I love my husband. And this is all awesome. You may say, I hate this job. I want to be with my husband in London. So, I mean, I love the idea of you guys being able to get away for just a minute and have like a long, thoughtful, gentle conversation about all this stuff. It feels like the topic has been so loaded that, like Aya was saying, everyone's kind of dug in their heels. But I truly believe that in like April, May, June, you'll start to have a much more grounded sense of what you want and what fits right for you. Yeah. I don't want you to stress, like preliminary stress. That's me. Yeah. I want to try to take that off your shoulders a little bit. Okay. Like you don't need to make a decision today. You don't need to make a decision next week, next month. You know what I mean? I want you to work hard at distracting. Okay. And do things that you love, like cultivate the hobbies, the stuff that your job isn't giving you or whatever. Okay. Nurture the sides you guys haven't been. You guys have been putting a lot of pressure about the future. He actually suggested at dinner that we take like a cabin trip or something like Good. I know it's not your thing, but I think you should do it. I think we will. I need a break. I need to get out of the city. So Exactly. Yeah. Oh, Nate, I'm really rooting for you. Thank you. Nurture those things. And truly, you don't need to make a decision about being a Norwegian citizen today no. or in the next month. I think all this traveling, your new job is going to reveal a lot to you. Yeah, I think so too. Nate, thank you so very much. Thank you. You're wonderful at giving advice. I felt for Nate. Oh, yeah. But it sounds like he's got a good partner. I think so, too. Yeah. That's just all that matters. (laughs) I like how decisive you are about your decision to not have kids. It took a long time. (laughs) Being a lady is... You have to constantly be like, is there something wrong? Am I not examining something? Am I making a fear-based decision that is about my childhood? Like, you have to go through all this psychology about it that is just not something that you have to go through if you're a man who doesn't want to have kids. And so I went through a lot of it and I was like, oh no, I actually just don't want to. And that's okay. (laughs) There's a lot of pressure for women that it means something about you or you're not even a good caretaker if you don't want to have kids. And that's just not real. It's just all these stories that we've been fed. (laughs) I, uh, I knew truly having watched interviews and your work, how 
thoughtful you would be. Oh, thank you. <laughs> I really appreciate it. I just have to say, it's so nice to see how engaged and like I can just see your heart on your face when talking to these people. And it's very moving. Thanks, Aya. I really appreciate that. Okay, so now we're going to talk with Brittany. Hi, Brittany. Hi. Thank you so much for your letter. Will you tell our listeners what's going on? Yeah, sure. So essentially, I was in a really bad relationship for about six years. We were married and we got divorced and then got back together. And it kind of took it breaking and falling apart finally for me to realize that I just was not myself. And I don't think I'd been myself for a really long time. And it kind of like opened my eyes and I was like, you know, even if someone were to ask, what do you like to do? Or, you know, it's like, I don't even know the answer anymore. And I just think that I'm having a really hard time finding myself and like figuring out how to be this person on my own. And I thought all this time that I was doing those things for myself, but I think essentially I was doing everything for him and try to make him see, you know, that the relationship was worth it and that I was worth it. And I just poured myself and my life into that. And now that I'm on my own, I just really don't know what to do. <laughs> and I have a little boy that, you know, he looks up to me and I, I want to make sure that I'm being the best version of myself for him. And so... I kind of just wanted to know like what your advice might be on that. Well, because you guys share a child, you probably have to have regular interaction. Well, actually, my son is not his child. He's basically cut off all communication with us, which is perfectly fine because he definitely just really, I think, just destroyed me. And I hate to think like how I feel, how my son must feel to have looked up to him and, you know, loved him so much. And I mean, at least we don't share a child, but in a way, I mean, we have, he helped me raise him for six years. And so. The first time you guys got a divorce or you split up, was that his call? Yes. And it was very unexpected and out of the blue. We didn't have any issues, really. I mean, we had normal issues, of course, but none that I would think that would have caused him to just want to give up entirely. And he was actually working out of state at the time. And he did this through a text message. He was just like, I'm done. I don't want to do this anymore. I just want a divorce. And of course, I fought for it for a little while. But eventually, I just was like, I can't make someone want to be with me that doesn't want to be with me. So I went ahead and gave him the divorce. And then 11 months later, we were back together. But it was just for a short time. Who initiated the getting back together? He did. Okay. So he was probably not faithful and felt in love when that relationship fell apart. He was like, baby, I want you back. Yes. And then when he did come back, he was unfaithful during the relationship. So it ended on me basically finding out he had a whole other girlfriend that knew nothing about me and that we were back together or anything. It ended because his relationship came out that he had another girlfriend. How did you find out the second time around? Well, actually, her husband messaged me on Facebook. <laughs> messier and messier. Yeah. And he was asking me what I felt about Ethan, if I thought he was a good person and if I thought that he would be good with his children and everything. And I was just like, I'm sorry, what? Like, why are you asking me these questions? And like, who are you? And, and all of this. And so that's basically how I found out. Even when I confronted him about it, he still denied that there was ever a relationship. Did the husband think that he was in an open relationship? I don't think so, because later on in the conversation, he had mentioned that he was so sorry that I had been cheated on and he wouldn't wish that on anybody and that this was the first time he had dealt with anything like that before. I'm so happy for you. Yes, thank you. I'm happy too. <laughs> yeah. And a lot of relationships take that like half life time. Because it's hard to, if we're used to our idea of home, change is hard. Yeah, for sure. It's so hard to come back from something like that because what you believe and you have found to be untrue. And that is just devastating. I mean, how do you trust your own instincts and how do you trust yourself again is what I'm hearing that you're really struggling with. Yeah. How do you forgive yourself 
for believing him. And that's incredibly hard. But just to say, like, you did figure it out. You did get out and start with that. That's the person that you are, is the person who found out, who made the choice to not be with the person who was treating you badly. And start with that in terms of building esteem. You know, I was in a relationship. I got cheated on and lied to about it. He told all my friends oh. that I already knew so that, like, he wouldn't get caught. Ugh. So nobody would tell me, which is absolutely brilliant and horrible. And when I was in a relationship with someone new, it was really hard to, like, just go in open-heartedly, right? Because you've had this horrible experience. But I just had to take every day as, like... I'm going to believe what's in front of me and I'm going to just keep asking myself, does this feel right? Because you knew something, right? You said that the first time around you were like, I sensed something. So like, that's the yeah. part that's real is the part that figured it out. And my current husband, I remember when I was first dating him said to me, you read books all the time and you never talk about them with me. And I was so shocked that he wanted to hear what I thought because my last relationship, that wasn't the part of me that was valuable. And so just remember, there are people who are going to find beautiful, valuable things in you that maybe your ex did not. And just allow that. I mean, it was such a, a revelation for me. And I was so excited that I got to talk about something that was important to me again. So just keep looking for those esteem moments and looking for that with your friends, too. Do you have a good community of people around you who can support you in all this? Yeah, for sure. I have a couple of really close friends and I'm very close with all my family. So they've definitely been with me through all of this. And, you know, if I call them crying at one o'clock in the morning, someone's coming knocking on the door to be there with me. So I definitely have a really good group of people that surround me. And they're telling you who you are. When you're not sure who you are, listen to them. Yeah. I think it's so hard to resist the attempt at putting the pieces of the puzzle together. Like, oh, okay, so he was there on that date and at that hotel, or did they sleep in my bed? You know, we can really get lost in attempting to piece together when we've been lied to, you know, the story. I dated a guy who would say that, oh, so-and-so tried to kiss me as a preemptive move when they had been fucking. Yeah. <laughs> and it's really can do a number on your head with someone assuming that you aren't smart, assuming that you're kind of disposable, you know, taking somebody for granted. And it's abusive. I am so proud of you, though, for leaving him. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. I mean, that is rad. This time when it fell apart, like, I feel good. It's like somebody switched kind of a, you know, a light on for me. Yep. I just have like a fire that kind of just burns all the time. That's just like angry sort of at him, but also really grateful because I just was really blind. I think the entire relationship and I put all this effort and time into this person that really I don't think ever appreciated me at all and made me essentially like bury the person that I was to fit inside of a box for him to just get the bare minimum and I just realized that's what I was begging for from him was bare minimum I also found myself telling my son a lot of times like you know this is not how a man is supposed to treat a woman and he would just say, you know, like, I know mom. Yeah, he's a teenager now, but he would just always be like, yeah, I know mom. So it's like, it hurt me. And it, I didn't even realize really at the time that I was doing it. But when I did realize that I had been saying that to him, kind of trying to protect him from everything, I was like, that's not something you should have to say to your child about your relationship. And so it really was like the lights came on and I sort of like just woke up after six years. You are beautiful. You're clearly incredibly kind and generous. And you are probably a caretaker. It sounds like you are because you were very generous with him, even in like the fallout. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> 
And that's something still to protect. Yes. I can tell just by talking to you that you are a very warm person, that you have like a big, warm heart. Oh, thank you. Like I want to smile when I see you because I can just feel that even through Zoom and protect that part of yourself because that's the part that could really get hardened or you want to get rid of because it's the part that left you vulnerable to this person. But you have a red flag detector now, right? Like, you know... What that is and your instinct. And by the way, the other red flag thing that I always thought was if your man calls another woman crazy, he's trying to sleep with her. Like he wants to distance himself. Oh, my God. You're so right. (laughs) Yes. He wants to tell you he thinks she's crazy. Like whatever bad he's saying about that woman, that's the woman you need to be worried about him going and cheating on you with. (laughs) You are so right. But you're going to have all that now. Like, you had to go through this horrible experience. And I'm sure there were good moments, too. I'm sure there was something in the beginning. It's okay to, like, have had love for someone who is awful. Like, we want to just, like, cut everything off and say, like, that's a bad person. I'm sure you saw good in him, too. But he was destructive. And he was destructive to you, but also to himself. Because to do that to someone, rather than just leave a relationship if you're unhappy, is to do something to yourself as well. And so you can let him, like, go his own way and not be a part of you anymore. And it can be okay that you were there for six years as well. You got to forgive yourself for that. Yeah. That's what I think I'm really struggling with is just like, I feel like obviously it was good in the beginning and there were good moments, you know, even throughout our marriage and everything. And I guess that's what I was always holding on to. And so it's hard to forgive myself though, for the times when I knew something was off and that something was bad and that I should have walked away much sooner. And so that's one thing I am struggling with is it's almost easier just to forgive him for the cheating and, you know, the abusive behavior. It's almost easier to forgive him for that than it is to forgive myself for allowing it for so long. Brittany, can I ask how your son is doing with all this? Yeah, he actually, I think, is relieved in a way. He doesn't have a great relationship with his own father And so my ex-husband was kind of that father figure for him. And I think, you know, the divorce in the beginning, when it first all happened, he took it really hard and he was very angry because it was so unexpected. You know, he kind of just felt really abandoned and, you know, left behind. But this time he's countless times just been like, mom, you're better off. Like we both are. We're better off without this. And that kind of also fuels me because I want him to keep that. Mm -hmm. I would never want to put him in a place in his own home where he has to feel like this is just miserable because I lived like that for six years. You know, I hate to think that he ever felt like that even for a moment. And so the fact that he's like, you know, we both are better off. He's my best friend, honestly. He's my cheerleaders. That means you did such an awesome job. Oh, thank you. We're very close. You know, I had him when I was really young. And so we've always been really close. And just sometimes he's just like, you know, this is so much better for us. Being a mom so young is also hard on your identity. Yeah. You weren't in a place where you could live selfishly like most people do in their 20s and like nurture all your hobbies or whatever. So, of course, there was like a sense of who am, what kind of movies do I like? Do you mind my asking how long ago the last breakup was? It was actually the beginning of January this year. Oh, okay. So it was super fresh. Yeah, super fresh. You're doing awesome. Well, thank you. I don't feel like I am, but thank you. No, you're doing great. You are so far ahead of the game. I thought this was like a year, six months to a year. You feel like you've processed a lot of it. And all you need to do is just keep focusing on those moments when you're like, I feel good and I feel myself and keep sort of fanning that flame because you're going to be fine. I mean, truly, (laughs) you're already so far ahead. Thank you. (laughs) Yeah. And Brittany, you weren't weak to give it another go. That wasn't foolish of you. Yeah. It was strong of you and generous of you. Yeah. The one thing I would say is if he wants to reach out to your child to say goodbye or to like just express love. 
That's the one one door crack I would leave open Mm -hmm. simply because I know for me when my parents' partners would leave and they just never talk to me again, even if you were like, yeah, I didn't want my mom to be with the dickhead that she divorced too, but to be acknowledged in that way can be really important. Yeah, that's a fair point, but I would definitely ask your son, Brittany. Yeah. Yeah. Because he may be like, fuck that dude. I don't know. Absolutely. Yeah. But just to keep an eye on that. Yeah. He does currently kind of have that attitude of like, I could care less if I ever speak to him again. But I'm sure also part of it is he wants me to see him feel that way, I guess, because I was the one, you know, that just broke down and was so hurt. And I think, you know, as my son, he, of course, is like, oh, no, this is hurting my mom. So let me put on a stronger face than what she has right now. So she feels like I'm in this with her and kind of thing. So I think there's probably a small part of him that does hurt for him, you know, wishes that maybe he would have at least said goodbye or, you know, not been so terrible. (laughs) Totally fair point. I like seeing things from that perspective. But also, Brittany, you are such a good mother. That is such a beautiful response to know that he might be putting on a face for you. And, you know, you'll see, you know him, he's your son. But that gives me so much like faith in the two of you. And that's a really beautiful thing that you're able to see that. I'm so happy you're single, Brittany. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Your boy is a teenager, so he's like gaining his independence. For the first time in a long time, you can really do things for yourself and nurture, you know, the things that you forgot about. I'm excited for you to get to know you without this other fuckhead like making you feel crazy. Yes, absolutely. And one of the last things he said to me, and this really helps me like get up every day just to like prove him wrong. But he was like, I can't wait to watch you fall on your face because you're nothing without me. What an idiot. Like, I just hear that in my head over and over again. I'm like, okay, we'll bet. Watch. (laughs) He is clearly not very smart either. Yes, not so much. It's almost like him leaving was me coming back. And so like him walking out of my life and us calling it quits for good was like me getting back together with me kind of thing. I'm just so happy that you're on the other side. Yeah, well, thank you guys so much for all your advice. I really appreciate it. And it's always nice for people to say that I'm doing good, even when I feel like I'm not. Brittany, have a wonderful rest of your day. I love you. I'm thinking about you. Thank you, guys. I love you both so much. Thank you so much for talking to me. Thank you so much for sharing, Brittany. (laughs) Bye, Brittany. Bye. I've loved talking with you. Thank you so very much. Thank you. Lovely to meet you. You too. Thank you so much. Bye, Aya. Bye. Bye. 